Listener Production. Welcome to Fail with Greta Lee Jackson, the podcast where I speak to people about times they messed up and what they learned on their journey to success. This story comes from my Uncle Dave. Depending on how you look at it, it's more of a triumph or a complete moral fail, but it did come very close to being a complete disaster. In the 1980s, Dave was negotiating a deal to supply rugby jerseys to Japan, as apparently they were a sought-after fashion item at the time. He had turned up on a business trip to Japan with the entire All Blacks team as part of a trade show, during which time their Japanese hosts had shown them incredible hospitality. It came time to repay the favour, so Dave invited their Japanese hosts to a very expensive restaurant along with the All Blacks for a farewell dinner. The drunker the footy players got, the more dishes and champagne they ordered, and Dave could see the bill that he would have to foot rising in front of his eyes. He couldn't ask everyone to rein it in on what was supposed to be a display of hospitality and gratitude. Besides, they were footballers and they were too drunk to listen to him anyway. So he hatched a plan. When the bill came, it amounted to about $1,000. Dave added a very generous 50% tip and took out a card. Because it was the 1980s, the waiter had to go and get the manual card machine. And then the waiter ran Dave's card. His Medicare card. Dave then herded the large group of drunk footballers and Japanese businessmen out the door as quickly as he could, trying to make a getaway, and he thought he had just pulled it off, until the restaurant manager came running after him, calling his name. This is it, I'm busted, he thought. But the manager only wanted to hold the door open for him as thanks for his generous tip. In this episode, I'll be talking to actor, writer and director Bjorn Stewart, about breaking through, breaking down and standing your ground. How would you describe what you do for a living? I do a bit of acting. I do a bit of directing and I do a bit of writing. And for online content or for television and sometimes, very rarely, uh, for film. Right. For, For feature films and short films. And how did you get into it? I went to Wollongong University, got a Bachelor in Creative Performance. I learnt performance art there, so a lot of... um, I did that too. Oh, right. Yeah, so you know. Not at Wollongong, but I did it at New South. I did a performance degree. So like the pouring milk over you, avant-garde, weird. Throwing meat on the floor. Throwing meat on the floor. Drawing Um, your name with your perineum. Milk is kind of the poor man's art, I think. Like it's their best friend. (laughs) <laughs> just, That's interesting. Just, just playing with milk, pouring it over yourself or sipping it and spitting it out. And meat, yeah. Meat and milk are like the, the bread and butter of performance art. <laughs> <laughs> meat, milk and the bread and butter. <laughs> it's true though. I used to look at performance art and think, oh, this is just talentless people's excuses for being able to get on stage. <laughs> it's pretty arrogant. <laughs> yeah. And what do you think now? Uh, I see the point yeah. of that stuff and I think it, I think there is some stage where you have to deconstruct things to figure out what's going on. Yeah. I feel like it's you 
I feel like performance art and like like postmodernism, no, post-dramatic art is kind of like the concentrate of the art form. And so if you want to like kind of like experiment or try new things, I mean, that's the place where you want to go. Yeah. Yeah, even draw inspiration from. But my main issue with it at university was the lack of humour. Everyone took themselves so seriously. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. why going into comedy, it's like a bit of a relief. Do you agree or? Oh, uh, yeah. I I, actually, I started off doing like like very drama, dramatic acting, like performance art, very drama. Got to, started doing, like got a uh, gig at Belvoir Theatre, um, which is a main stage theatre in Sydney. And then I there was a call out for comedy writers on a show called Black Comedy. And I applied for that and I got in, went for like a week's workshop writing sketches and they culled a bunch of people and there were like a team that got to stay and I was one that stayed. And that was the massive shift for me of going um, from then on I'm like, oh, I can say something and it doesn't, and it reaches a broad audience and that's comedy and I want to get in involved. In it. I want to be in that. You've been in that ever since? Yeah, from, there, from then on. Dabble a little bit in drama, but um, yeah, that was kind of like the thing that really got me working on comedy, watching comedy and yeah. I think that's why you are so good at comedy acting though because you can do both and because you did start in drama and I think it makes a massive difference just watching your performance as opposed to someone who's only done comedy. There's a definite, there's a definite... um, consideration is a definite listening there's a definite like figuring out what's going on in a scene that I don't that I think a lot of comedy performers are just in their head and just figuring out what they need to do but if you've got a dramatic background it's very noticeable with you in particular because you listen and you watch what's going on around you and then make the best decision based on those factors rather than what's the best funniest thing I can do yeah you I approach comedy, yeah, from like a dramatic point. Instead of trying to be the funny person, and I think it's fun being the person that's not the funny guy in the room. You're just the guy that's reacting from, you know, the wacky weirdness that's happening in the room. Interestingly, Keenan Thompson, that's his thing. Do you know him on SNL? No. So he's the longest ever cast member and everybody says he's the guy that just gets what's going on and figures it out and doesn't try to upstage anyone. Yeah, right. He plays the game. He plays the game yeah. and he's the longest. He's he's just got a good gig yeah. and he doesn't try and do anything out of the ordinary and everybody just loves him for it. That's awesome. He's like Lorne Michaels' favourite guy ever because he does exactly what you just described. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, there you go. I want to ask you, can you pinpoint a time that you felt the happiest and most fulfilled in your career? Uh, I got to write and direct a horror f- uh, short film that I've had the idea since I was like 15. I got all the jokes that I wanted to put into it. I've, um, people laugh at it, which is great to have. And, um, yeah, and I get to it, – it's like a little piece of the world that was trapped inside my head and I got to see that play out on the screen with – yeah, uh, and, you know, and be um, a part of a – a great film festival as well in Sydney. Now, do you think the difference there between feeling fulfilled in something you're doing and and something you're making is creative control, having creative control? Does that make the difference? Yes. 
the creative having creative control i think really helps um brings and it, and it just and it, it's self empowering as well it gives you a voice and then you can feel like you can go out and uh and whatever those things are there like they're all like you know you have so much doubt self doubt in this industry and when you go out there and you make something and people respond to it that's validating to have it was nice to have my family sitting next to my family watching the film in the cinema. That was nice to have. And they know this story as well. So it was great to have them there as well. Can you describe a time where you feel you hit your lowest point? And this could be professional, this can be personal, but this can just be a moment where you're like, oh, can it get worse than this? And you just you feel free to share what you want. How many people are listening to this podcast? Uh, I got kicked off uh, as a writer, and bro, I got kicked off. Oh, you got kicked off. That's why bro. you didn't come back. <laughs> yeah. Long story short, Craig brought me on. Yeah. Craig got kicked off after he won the actor. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. And I was with Craig and I got kicked off and I tried to ask the producer when I saw her and she ran away from me. <laughs> <laughs> she ran into a into a shop and I was just like, Are you running away from me? Yeah. She's like, I just didn't know how, how to how to respond and I was like Okay, you made this weird, bro. People get like people chop and change all the time. Yeah, you know? Yeah. Just tell yeah. me what the hell happened. Cause yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Usually you can go Oh, that's what I did. What happened? Um, just wasn't I, – I, I was told I didn't match the tone of the show um, and, yeah, see you later. And took me – like smiled, gripped my teeth, polite, did everything like, you know, whatever. I'll just go through it and whatever like that. But – Man, didn't want to rock the boat. I didn't want to rock the boat, and I was still pretty fairly new to all of this. And I just, it was, it took me years to recover from such just getting fired from a job, and just the self confidence like it took on me going, like having this doubt of going like I'm not a funny writer. I can't do like, but they you know they got me on to be a performer, and I'm like. Oh, so I'm just good. I'm just good at performing comedy, but I can't create comedy and whatever. And um, and it was very cold. Like you build up a relationship with people in this industry, and build up a relationship. You build up that show. Yeah, well, I hope I did. And it, yeah, just kind of like you know, just an email. See you later. And I was like, oh, like not even a phone call. Like I thought we were mates. Like yeah, and it was that. That was a kick in the guts and took me a long time to um, get over that. Um, but now I'm like I've been on like a whole lot more comedy stuff and, you know, get to help write out, write stuff, like to write more. Um, but, yeah, it's given me like massive like, yeah, I, I think because getting fired from that job, I went hard into comedy in spite like – Oh. Spike could be all right sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Just this, yeah, just going, you know what? You don't think I'm great? I'm going to go 10 times harder at this and I'm going to prove to you, <laughs> prove to this one person <laughs> that, I'm gonna, that I can be a, um, a funny writer. Yeah. 
now now like now it's now I've kind of dealt with that and worked through it and you know now I'm just kind of doing my own thing. I don't know that those producers realized what destruction they did with the choices they made. There yeah. have been several people that I've spoken to that were hurt very badly. Mm. Crew, cast. Yeah. yeah. Um by that. And here I was thinking I was the only one. Yeah. And then I learned that there were others that were traumatized. Yeah. And exactly what you're describing. Yeah. So if we put that all together, we have to at some point realize that you know, of course it's always good to, to own your shit, right? And yeah. go, "Oh, I probably did that wrong and I probably could have been better with that." But if you look at this sort of mass casualty, in this instance, I don't reckon it's us. As in? As in I think they were not captaining the ship properly because yeah. if you can have multiple people that have had this experience, then doesn't that say that they're the common denominator? Yeah. There are a lot of, a lot of people got hurt from, yeah. Yeah. from um, making a show from scratch. I think what was hurtful was that we had no idea how, how to write to, for, for television and we're under the impression of like building up a show and I guess you'd have that expectation of like these, um, you know, producers and execs and um, people at the top end uh, of making this would be mentors. I was just um, about to say that, yeah. mentoring you and helping you get through it because it's not like no one can do this. With the right yeah. perspective and the right help and the right encouragement, you can do it. Yeah. And I think that's been, you know, this hard and fast kind of like get people in and get people out. And especially like, you know, when it's like involving Indigenous people that have never, that may not have the confidence in the beginning and just giving it a go and then just kind of get these like hard and fast like not funny, next or whatever. That's not going to, that's, that's not building people up. And it may be fine on like a professional level when you have people have done it for a while um, that are like in it, but this is you building from the ground up and you need to like, you know, um, take in a whole, you know, uh, um, you know, it's bigger than just making the television show. You're also starting a whole new kind of movement of indigenous comedy writing in the country. I I wrote a lot of stuff that wasn't revolving around Indigenous content uh, and I wish that they had probably told me like what they wanted and I could have like catered towards that but it was just I wasn't getting the tone and I'm like I don't know what the tone is if you can't tell me. But also maybe they're not telling you because it's pigeonholing you. Well, yeah, that's they wanted a particular type of, you know, style to go out there, what they believed um, was, you know, the um, makes for the show. And, yeah, I I just kind of didn't see myself Indigenous first, comedian second. I kind of saw it the other way around. I wish I spoke up a lot sooner. I wish I wasn't scared. Um, we all are, though. Yeah, that I felt like, like, you know, if I spoke up that I'd be blacklisted from the industry forever. I wish, yeah. Everybody thinks that. Yeah, and you feel like these, yeah, there's these powerful people that are like calling all the shots, and if you rock the boat and stir, you know, um, stuff up, and every, you know, and make people feel uncomfortable, you'd be kicked off, and nobody would want you again. 
In fact, though, I'm learning now it's quite the opposite. If you stand your ground and you, like, speak your truth, like, there's nothing wrong with being difficult to work with. If you're difficult to work with on the right reasons of, like, you fighting for the show to make it better and you, you know, but it's rubbing people's egos the wrong way, as long as the thing sells and you're, you know, and people um, are watching it, and it was a success, then who cares that if you were, I'm doing air quotations, difficult to work with. Do you think it's a self-worth thing? Because I know if I would never speak up, it's because I thought I didn't deserve to. I thought I didn't know better. Mm. I thought that my feelings of being hard done by were unjustified and it was in my head and I was the wrong one. And I think the more you get into it and the older you get and the more secure you get with yourself, you're able to go, hold on a second, this shouldn't be happening and you get more like I, I deserve better because we're in, we're in this situation where for the most part it is extremely enjoyable and a privilege what we do. Yeah. So yeah. you almost feel like guilty for saying, no, hold on, this thing isn't good enough right now, the way I'm being treated right now is not good enough because you're like – well, most people don't get to do this. <laughs> yeah, and there's a weird kind of like you, you talk know. yourself out of it. Yeah, and and people will try and pull that onto you as well. Like you should be grateful for the opportunity. And you're like I'm just wiping my face <laughs> in exasperation <laughs> of like my my whole career being reflected back at me right yeah. now. Be grateful for the th- you know, for being in this position. You'd be nowhere you know, if it wasn't for me or that's how like you're made to feel in the, in, you know, these conflicting situations. And I'm like, now I'm like, well, I kind of, I think I'll be good without you. Like, and also, you know, like some people as well, like that are out there, I don't particularly care about their. Nowadays, but okay. Now, nowadays, like I don't care about, like if there's somebody I really want to kind of work with, then I think that it's going to be above, you know, some ego thing, ego trip. And based on, you know, those experiences where you now want to speak up, like if you could just do a blanket statement like how you want things to be different, how things should change in order for it to not happen again, generally speaking, what would you say? I think think it's um, this industry is highly exploitive and I know there are like budget restraints and money costs and you have to like squeeze blood from a stone at some of these things but I feel like if people want to be there that you should respect them for wanting to be there because people take pride in their work um so I think having like that ownership of people going you know um having that kind of, I guess, like that mutual respect of everybody that's um, working on on these things would really help. Um, if I ran a set, I would probably, uh, if I was like a, you know, head writer or a showrunner on it, um, I'd make a manifesto and want that um, a protocol to be put in place of where people, you know, that it's the work that comes first um, f- first and foremost, and everything else comes second. 
and trying to get that up. And yeah, and I, and I don't like this kind of like working on weekends and, you know, sometimes you have to. And I think like people that are, um, you know, but, you know, have to make that happen if it's, you know, it's not going to get done unless it gets done. But I think exploiting people for their time and, um, you know, is, isn't right. And I think, yeah, we need to check that. You know, that, that low point you were describing, what is that like for you as a person, as a creative, what happens to you? Um, I'm actually coming out of a low point now. Um, I had an opportunity, hopefully it's going to still happen, uh, to go overseas and do kind of work with like a massive production company and some visas happened, got knocked back and can't go. Um, all through no fault of my own, just technicalities. Um, it's just kind of like roll of the dice kind of stuff. So it's all out of my hands. Um, and there's a low point going like I feel like I've missed out on a huge opportunity and that low point of going, I felt like my career was going from like one strength to another and I, I made a um, short film that was like well-received and, uh, you know, work collaborating with people that are like really awesome and I like working with and I felt like this was going to be another kind of thing to like go like, all right, now I'm going to like start branching internationally as You're well. getting fan messages on Instagram? I'm getting f- weird fan messages on Instagram <laughs> and stuff like that. I've have, I've got artists like drawing my face out there like, wow. from, you know, um, which was like huge. Like going, wow, like you spent some time drawing my mug? Like that's so cool. It's cool. Yeah. Um, and then so like missing out on this opportunity, you like I shut down. And everybody around me could feel it and I didn't want to affect them. So I didn't talk about it or what, but they could feel my energy. It was like this toxic thing of like just wallowing in this self-pity. Um, just ate rubbish, didn't want to get up, didn't want to do anything. It's it, like a depression bout. Um, and I don't feel like I have depression or, you know, but I was like just – and and – one side of my mind like trying to fight and going, oh, you know, I just got to pick myself up and I've got to do this and this and this. Another side of my mind going, what's the point? I, you know, just feel like a piece of poo and I just want to just lay in bed all day. It's a horrible feeling like being like creatively and career-wise like stifled and not being able to like go out and make, you know, go out and like, you know, like this is everything I think to us as well. Like we watch stuff. We like stay back late. We, you know, we're constantly thinking about, um, you know, this industry and, and networking and whatever like that and doing stuff on our own time and not getting paid nowhere near as the amount of work that we put in, but we do it because we love it. And then when you like pushed back from something that you love, like I was just in a funk, like I just could not get out of it. I don't think you're alone in that by any stretch because in March and April I had mm. something similar. Mm-hmm. Finally the loss of my job at Tonightly hit me, uh-huh. like really hit me. Right. And I was like grieving it, like you grieve someone that dies. I know it sounds silly but that's what was happening. And I realised I had a big, like what you just described there of we do it because we love it and we live and breathe it. Yeah. 
but that means our identity is tied up in our work. Yes. I didn't realise to what extent that yeah. that was happening with me and yeah. suddenly the work's gone. I have no sense of identity. I have no sense of purpose. Yeah. And, and it was just a big wake-up call to hear that of being like, well, you identify, your identity is your work and that's not healthy. And I was like, but what else wow. do I have? Mm. Well, you have heaps. You have um, like basic values. Kindness, yeah, um, like love, support, like how you relate to the other people in your life on a basic level has more value to your core identity than work ever could. Big wake up call. Wow, does that resonate for you? Or yeah, yeah, it was a because I was like, well, that is me. That is me. People buy my personality. They buy yours. Yeah. You know, when we get cast in stuff, if we're presenting stuff or if we're, you know, even if lesser extent acting, they're buying you and suddenly no one wants to buy you. You don't exist. Yeah. And you're you're constantly thinking about like for me anyway, like 24-7 I'm thinking about my identity, my brand, my, you know, how who I can network, who I can collaborate with the ideas, how am I going to get these ideas off the ground, the ideas that are already in motion, um, steering through that. And then like I think like when you have like days that like it's your down day, like you just switch off and you find that you can't switch off or like when you have nothing on because you're constantly thinking about stuff. You're watching shows and television shows not because you want to, it's because you're doing it for work. When you're supposed to be watching television, you're watching it for work. Mm. You're watching, okay, I would... I'd, I'd direct that differently. I'd act like that differently. When but, I get my chance, I'll do that bit differently. Yep. Yeah. That edit was sloppy, blah, 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 blah. You're constantly taking notes. Yeah. Yeah. So even if you're vegging out, you're not vegging out. No. You're still hamster wheel yeah. in your head. Yeah, and that's a hard thing to switch off completely. But I understand like you're so tied up in 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 this. Like it's, it's you. Like even the way that you sleep and – you start your day, it all revolves around this work. This book I read makes you write your own eulogy. Oh, yeah? It's a big wake-up call. It's yeah. like a big slap in the face. Uh-huh. Do you think someone's going to go, oh, she made some funny sketches. We really <laughs> valued that about her. Yeah. Nah. Yeah. So, yeah, that exercise I would recommend to people. Yeah. Write really what you think your closest and nearest and dearest would say about you mm-hmm. at your eulogy, and it's just like, well, shit, nothing, none of this matters. Oh yeah, none of this matters. They never spent time with me. They never called. They never like. They're too busy. Yeah, sent text messages or checked up on me. You don't want that. No. Nah. <laughs> so Hell that no. was a big like, whoa. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was like, yeah, it was just a big thing. I realized. I don't know. But- yeah. No, that's good. Um, I'm going to write my eulogy now when I get home. <laughs> good. See what you learn and let me know. Yeah. So you would you say in a way, is even though we don't see it at the time, that that wallowing is necessary? Yes, I think it is. If you make your work and take control over the work that you want to see out there, um, I'm doing this short film and people laughing at my short film, I'm like, well, there it is. That's proof right there. When I can hear the laughter out of the jokes that I made and I can see them up uh, up on screen and it's now going internationally, I'm like, well, I don't need, you know, someone can fire me from that job. That doesn't matter. That Like that's their opinion now. I'm taking control over 
how I um, run the show. So good. I'm so pumped up. Nice. That's really good. That's it's really good to talk good. about this stuff. It's yeah. like a therapy session. I'm like, oh, I feel better oh, now. I just people kind of, say that sometimes. Yeah. That's so, you feel better? I feel better. I held on to like, you know, a bit of like, you know, tidbits. Um, you know, I, I don't talk to people normally about getting fired from and Who talks about getting fired at any time? Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I can't believe this is the first time we found out that each other was. Yeah, yeah. That See, that shows you how much we hide this stuff. Yeah, that's right. You and know. how much we all are kind of like, you know, in a way kind of like going through similar things as well. We and hide it but we're not dictated by it. That's right, yeah. And it is important to wallow. <laughs> <laughs> Just not for too long. Not for too long and prove to yourself that you can do it. Thanks for listening. To share your fails with me, you can contact me on my Facebook or Twitter at Greta Lee Jackson. Fail with Greta Lee Jackson is presented by me. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Listener.